Harry Houdini always issued a challenge wherever he went. He said that he could be locked in any jail in the country and set himself free in a short order. With one exception, he always kept his promise. Houdini entered this particular jail in his street clothes. The heavy metal doors clanged shut behind him. He took from his belt a concealed piece of metal, strong and flexible. He set to work immediately, but something seemed unusual about this lock. For 30 minutes he worked and got nowhere. An hour passed and still he had not opened the door. By now he was bathed in sweat and panting from exasperation, but he still could not pick the lock. Finally, after laboring for two hours, Houdini collapsed in frustration and failure against the door that he could not unlock. But when he fell against the door, it swung open. It had never been locked at all. But in his mind, it was locked, and that was all it took to keep him from opening the door and walking out of the jail. Today, many people are held prisoner by a lot of different things. Things such as alcohol, drugs, pornography, finances, fear, unforgiveness, and many others. Like Houdini, they are working to working and fighting to free themselves from this prison. However, after all of their work, they find themselves tired, frustrated, and feeling like a failure. Their best efforts have failed because they mistakenly conclude that this prison cannot be escaped. Since this prison cannot be escaped, and this is the best they can ever hope life to be, the problem is not that the prison cannot be escaped. The problem is they're looking to the wrong person themselves to free them. Jesus said that he came to give us abundant life. And this life in all its fullness cannot be lived from inside these self-imposed prison walls. Many would have us to believe that becoming a Christian, we become prisoners of religion. They want us to believe that religion in general, Christianity in particular, is a laundry list of do's and don'ts. And once we've become prisoners of religion, we'll be robbed of any joy or pleasure that may be had. It is a self-imposed prison of misery. This, however, could not be further from the truth. Becoming a Christian is becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. It is not entering into a religion with a long list of do's and don'ts. Instead, it is entering into a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ himself. It is not a self-imposed prison of misery. It is a life in all its fullness and it brings real freedom. This morning we need to know the message of Jesus is not one of prison chains, but one of freedom from those chains. And let's look at the words of Jesus himself regarding this. Open your Bible to John chapter 8. Verse 31 is where we're going to start. It's page 817. I'll ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word when you find that. John 8 and verse 31. says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, Truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, shall be free indeed. The title of the message this morning is Finding Freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and goodness. Thank you for an opportunity to gather to sing your praise and study your word. We ask you today to open our hearts to receive your word. Help us, God, to to understand the freedom that should be ours in Jesus Christ. Today, I ask that if there's any here that are that are in some sort of 
prison that they've imposed upon themselves through sin, that you would help them to see the freedom that's available to them through Jesus Christ, that you would work in their hearts and you would free them. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. And let the way we respond today show that your word is the authority in our lives, that Jesus Christ is Lord over our lives, and that we know him and are being changed by him. We ask you to guide us, to help us, God. Let what we do in here make a difference in how we live the rest of the day and the rest of the week. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus' words are interesting in this passage because he speaks to people that think they are free. They've assumed that it's because of children of Abraham, they have always been in freedom. Jesus explains to them that they are not free. That while they may be physically free, they are not spiritually free. And that he can give them the freedom that they need. And that really is the main thing that we want to understand today. Is that true freedom is found in Christ. That whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But living in the freedom that Jesus Christ has for us, it is a choice that we must make. You and I must choose to live in the freedom that Christ died to provide. And there are two choices that we must make to do this. The first one is, is choose to follow Christ. Right? He starts this off by those who believe in him and calling them his disciples. Right? That is the, the beginning to finding freedom in Christ, to experiencing the freedom in Christ, is that we must choose to be His disciples. But what does it look like to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ? From this, I think that there are at least two characteristics of a disciple of Jesus Christ. First is that disciples obey His Word. Disciples obey His Word. Jesus said, if you abide in My Word... The idea of abide, it carries with it the idea of not just reading it, but doing it. Taking it to heart, letting it be the authority and the rule for our lives. And as I was studying this, I'm just reminded of how often the idea of obedience comes up in the Christian life. From Genesis to Revelation, God repeatedly says that the one thing He wants from His people is that they would obey His Word. He tells us that obedience is better than sacrifice. That nothing we can do will ever please Him any more than obeying Him. Just very simply doing what He says to do. So I thought about why is obedience so important? Why does God care so much about whether or not we obey His Word? Here's what I have come to understand. There is nothing that says, I love God... I love Jesus more than simply doing what Jesus has said to do. There is nothing that says I trust Jesus more than simply doing what Jesus has said to do. Now, this isn't my idea. This is what Jesus said. Look at his words. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's pretty simple. Jesus, I love you. What can I do to show you I love you? Very simply. One main thing, just do what I've said to do. But he, he strengthens this. He who has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one that loves me. Right? If we were just looking and saying, who loves Jesus? Is it the person that gives the weepiest testimonies, that sings the prettiest songs? It could be. 
But it may also be the person that never says anything, that never stands up in front of anyone, but simply to their very dead level best, does all that they can to do what Jesus has said to do. Jesus said those that obey him, they are the ones who love him. But he tightens it even more. If anyone loves me, he will obey my commands. Right? If we love him, we will obey him. But look at what he goes on to say, the final thing. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Man, that is, I mean, if I were to say that, you would tell me I was legalistic and being mean. But the words of Jesus himself, we can say we love him all day long. We can say all that we want to about how great he is, how good he is, how close our relationship to him is. But if we are not doing his will, then all of that is a lie. If I love Jesus, I will do one thing above all else. I will do the things he has commanded me to do. But it also shows our faith, and we're not going to look at it, but take some time to read Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is all about faith. People who received God's approval because they believed him. But how did they show their faith in God? By doing what God told them to do. Noah believed God about the coming flood, and so what did he do? He obeyed God and he built an ark. Moses believed God. And so he ceased to be called a a son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he went to the children of Israel and he stood before Pharaoh and he led the people out. Abraham believed God. And so he left his homeland and went where God told him to go. Over and over and over again, Hebrews 11 is filled with people who believed God. And because they believed God, they lived differently. And one of the things I... The truth I think we have to get from this is that it's not enough to know what God has said. We have to do what God has said. Somewhere in church history, the idea came to be that spiritual maturity was shown by how much Bible knowledge we had. That those who could recite the books of the Bible, name the Ten Commandments, the Twelve Tribes and the Twelve Apostles, quote the most Scripture, that those people, by their knowledge, showed their great spiritual depth and maturity. I contend that is wrong. The greatest demonstration of spiritual maturity is not in how much we know, but in how much we live. How much we take and we put into practice in our lives. In fact, I can say with great confidence that the most spiritually immature people I have ever known knew much but lived little. They would almost be Bible answer men. They could answer any question, point you to any place. But they never did what the Bible said to do. And in churches I have been a part of in the past, when there was a problem, you could root it back down to this person who was spiritually immature, knew a lot of Bible, but lived very little of it out. The greatest question for us isn't how much of the Bible do I know, but how much of what I know am I living? 
friend of mine a few years ago in a discussion about this, he made a statement that at the time I thought he was crazy. He said, Christians today need fewer Bible studies. And I thought, that's a strange thing for a preacher to say. And he went on to say, the reason is most people know more than they're currently living. They don't need more Bible studies to increase their knowledge. They need to get out and do what they know they're supposed to do. And it took me a while, but I think he's right. Chances are, there are few of us who don't know what God wants us to do. I think very rarely are the problems in our life with doing God's will because we don't know what God would have us to do. Now, granted, there are certainly times in life where God's word does not say thou shalt or thou shalt not. But how many times are those really the problem? In my life, the greatest problem with God's will has not been in times where I've had to try to figure out what choice to make about something that the Bible didn't speak explicitly about. The greatest problems I've ever had with God's will was simply doing what I knew I was supposed to do. The vast majority of what we're supposed to do as believers in Jesus Christ, as disciples of Christ, it's pretty clearly laid out. And I'm convinced that if we do what we know to do, the other stuff will work its way out. In fact, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. But rarely. Now, the, the key to this isn't, well, I'm going to study the Bible less because I already know so much. If you come away from that, I have not done very well, very good job communicating. What we need to do is not study less. What we need to do is live more. Live more of what we know to do. Live Know what we know to do about sharing the gospel, making disciples, loving our neighbors, being kind to one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, being generous and helpful, being lights that shine in a dark world. We need to simply do what we know to do. We need to obey his word. But secondly, we need to know the truth. And if you look at this, this was an interesting thing. Jesus said in verse 31, if you abide or if you obey my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, that I was thinking about that while I was mowing yesterday. That seems backwards, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem that you should know the truth and do the truth, and then you shall be made free? But Jesus turns it around, and in fact, it's not meant to be the other way. The wording is such that we are supposed to do His will, And then we know the truth. His will is revealed to us. And and the idea, I think, is that there is to be a, a constant cycle of obeying and knowing in our lives. Right? We first we need to do what we know to do. And as we do what we know to do, God reveals more truth to us. Right? And we see this. Jesus said this. Look at what he said in the Gospel of Mark. Be sure to pay attention to what you hear. The more you do this, the more you'll understand and even more beside. To those who are open to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But to those who are not listening, what they have will be taken away from them. Now, the idea of being open to his teaching is more than just listening. It is listening and then doing. And the, the cycle is 
I know what I'm supposed to do, so I do it. And as I do what I'm supposed to do, Jesus reveals more information, more truth to me in my life. And he reveals this truth to me. So then what do I do? I take that and I put it into practice. And as I listen and obey, I experience the freedom that Jesus Christ came to give me. But it's never enough just to listen. James said if we hear without doing, we deceive ourselves. That we are to take what we learn and put it into practice in our lives. I mean, an important truth is that Jesus never reveals truth to us to fill our heads with knowledge. Jesus never reveals truth to us so that we can win an argument with our co-worker. Truth is always revealed to transform our lives. And I think with this, there should be in each one of us a commitment to doing God's will, no matter what that will is. God, I want to do whatever you want me to do. And so show me what you want me to do and I'll do it. And then think about like Isaiah. He sees this vision of God, great and lifted up and exalted. God says, who will go for me? Whom shall we send? No, no indication of the mission at all. Just, I want somebody to go and do something. Isaiah is open to the teaching. He says, here am I, send me, I'll do it. It's only after he agrees to do the mission that he's given the mission. For many of us, what we want to do is, we want God to tell us what to do so that we can evaluate it in light of our wisdom and our understanding. And we'll say, well, if this is culturally acceptable, and if it makes sense to me, and if it syncs up with my political affiliations, then I will do it. Otherwise, not so much. God says, that's not the way I work. If I am Lord, and I am God, and you are subject, there must be a willingness in you to do what I want you to do, regardless of what that is. And the person who is open to my teaching and willing to do what I say, they will know the truth, and that truth will set them free. And with both of these, obeying and hearing, it is a constant process. There is never a a one time I obeyed in the past, I'm good. I heard and I did it today, I'm set. It is just constant. Each day... I must choose to follow Jesus. And I choose to follow Jesus by doing what I know to do today. And then as He reveals more and more of what I should do, I take that and I put that into my practice today. Tomorrow I wake up and I do the exact same thing. And I do this every day of my life. Every every moment of every day of my life. till He calls me home to glory. Or till He comes back. True freedom is found in Jesus. But it is only found... By his disciples who obey his word and listen to his truth. Secondly, I have to choose spiritual freedom over physical freedom. One of the things that makes America appealing to the world is the freedom that we have. The government cannot tell us who to marry, kind of jobs to have. So much physical freedom that we have. Decisions we can make. Things that we can do. It's what calls people to our shores and makes them want to come and live in the land of opportunity. And yet so often what we do is we confuse that 
physical freedom with true freedom or spiritual freedom. But we're not the first people to do that. The Jews of Jesus' day did the same thing. Right? He talked about knowing the truth and the truth setting you free. And you can't help but see they were irritated by his words. We, we are Abraham's descendant. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Right? For a Jew, freedom was, was a high priority. Jews were, were not to sell one another into slavery. The, the, to be a, for a Jew to be a slave to anyone or anything was a, a massive disgrace to them. So for Jesus to say he would set them free, well, no, that, that was almost offensive to them. Because of their, they were descendants of Abraham. They had always been free. They had never been slaves to anyone. But Jesus explains that they're focusing on physical freedom and not spiritual freedom. Look at what he says. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides in the house forever. Now, he wanted to give them spiritual freedom because they were living in sin and thus they were enslaved by it. They had confused the physical freedom that they had. The spiritual freedom he wanted to give, which is the same problem we see in our day. People want to believe that they can do anything they want, and because they can do anything they want, they're free. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what's right or wrong. I am a free man. I am a free woman. I can do anything. And that is physical freedom. That is true. Right? And we see things. We, people say things like this. It's a free country. And I, I can get drunk if I want to. I can look at pornography if I want to. I can have premarital sex if I want to. I can gossip if I want. I can divorce my husband or my wife if I want. I can, I can commit adultery if I want. I can do any of these things that I want to do. And they say, because I can do them, I'm free. But these are not statements of freedom. These are statements of slavery. These are the statements of someone who is a slave to sin. They have confused physical freedom with spiritual freedom, and they are slaves. The Bible says this repeatedly. Look at how Proverbs says, An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are the ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for his lack of self-control. He'll be lost because of his great foolishness. Right? The ropes that hold him. And really the picture in that passage is that he's struggling to get out. But the more he struggles in his sin, the more it wraps around him and the more that it entangles him. And there are two truths about sin that we see in this passage. One is that sin promises freedom, but it delivers slavery. The world wants us to believe that the greatest expression of freedom there is, is not to be constrained by biblical morality. Not to be constrained by an absolute standard of right and wrong. Be a free thinker. Make your own rules. Do what feels good, what makes you happy. That is freedom. The Bible says that is not freedom. That is slavery. To live in that is nothing but spiritual slavery. Which leads us to the second truth about sin. Sin promises life, but delivers death. The wages of sin is always death. Sin is always destructive to our spiritual life, to our relationships, to our physical life. It is destructive in every 
area of life. Sin says this is how to live and enjoy life. This is how to experience the best the world has to offer. And all the while, sin is slowly but surely killing you. It's destroying your life. I want to show you this from the New Testament. So turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Page 639. One of the themes in the book of Romans, and really, as Jesus said in John, is that he can set us free from that. And when we turn to Christ in faith, we are set free from our slavery to sin. The problem with that is that our sin nature doesn't die. It is still alive and well. It is still at work in our lives. It is still trying to draw us back into its slavery. And so, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been freed from slavery to sin, but the sin nature is still saying, come and do this. Come and enjoy this. Free yourself. And it's trying to draw us back into slavery. And Paul, dealing with this, he says in Romans 6 and 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. Right? We, verse 11, you are reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. Therefore, because we are dead to sin and alive to Christ, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies by obeying it in its lust. And the word reign, right? You should, if you underline in your Bible, you should underline that word because it is a powerful word. And the idea is that we should not see sin as something that is willing to coexist in our life. Sin is something that wants to dominate and control our lives. You should see sin as a ruthless tyrant that wants to control all that we are and all that we do. But any area of sin always eventually spreads to other areas of our life. It is never enough for it to coexist with other things. Eventually it dominates everything. That is what sin wants to do. It wants to reign in our mortal bodies. Look at verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God, being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And what we need to see in this is that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, if we are not careful, what we can do is choose to allow our bodies to be instruments of sin in the world. Now, our bodies themselves are not sin. It is what we choose to do in our bodies that make them become instruments of sin. And how, we, how they become instruments of sin is that we, we present, we choose to let sin reign in our lives. It says in verse 16, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves? To whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. See, every day we make a choice about who or what is going to control our lives. Who or what is going to, to have domination and have the rule in our lives. I can yield to sin 
and let my body become an instrument of unrighteousness. Or I can yield to Christ and let my body be used for His glory. But either way, that is a choice I am going to make. And one of the truths about this that I thought about today, or thought about this week as I was studying this, is that he just talks about sin in a general sense. Not, not necessarily big sin. And the idea of between this and what Jesus said is that when we, when we yield to sin, we become slaves to sin. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of someone being a slave to sin, I think of, you know, the quote-unquote big sins. You know, homosexuality, fornication, drunkenness, uh, things along those lines. The, the, they are slaves to sin through these great big sins we're doing. But that's not the picture that Paul or Jesus paint. The picture they paint is that when we yield to our sinful nature, we become slaves to sin. Right? And this is in all kinds of ways. Right? I am a slave to sin whenever I choose to yield to my sinful nature. Let me just give you some examples that, that we might not think of. Okay? When I choose to let my pride make me feel superior, look down on others, I'm a slave to sin. Now, in our culture, pride is okay. But in the Bible, pride is a huge sin. Pride is, in Proverbs 6, it is something that God hates. It is an abomination to God. It is something that separates us from God. And when, in my pride, I begin to look down on others, I am a slave to sin. It says nothing about the people I look down on, but it says a lot about me, that I am a slave to sin. When I choose to spread gossip, I am a slave to sin. Now, of course, as Baptists, we don't gossip, we share prayer requests, right? But the fact is, when we are telling things that we should not tell, it's gossip. It's a sin. The Bible speaks against it. And by doing that, it says nothing about the person I'm gossiping about, but it says a lot about me, that I am a slave to sin. Now, make it even more difficult. When I choose to eagerly listen to gossip, I'm a slave to sin. Do you know the Bible says that even listening to gossip is a sin? That's pretty rough, isn't it? I mean, I don't want to tell it, but I don't mind hearing it a lot of times, right? But again, it says nothing about the people I'm listening to the stories about, but much about me, that I'm a slave to sin. I didn't want to put this one up there, but I felt like I needed to. When I choose to be a glutton, I'm a slave to sin. Now, of course, it's Baptist gluttony is not a sin in our culture. But if you think about it, gluttony is to eating what drunkenness is to alcohol. It is overindulging. It is a lack of self-control. And that is a sin. So when I lack self-control in, in really any area of my life, and I let other things control me, I am a slave to sin. When I choose to look on other people with judgment in my heart, I am a slave to sin. Now, judgment must be properly understood. Our culture's idea of judge not is not right. Judge not is not 
this is right, this is wrong. The Bible has clearly said some things are right, some things are wrong. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we must stand for what is right. And we must say, thus says the Lord. But there is a difference between saying, this is a sin and this is wrong. And saying, you are this or they are that. When I look at someone with judgment in my heart, it says nothing about them, but much about me. When I choose to look at pornography, I'm a slave to sin. I think pornography could come in a variety of ways. It doesn't have to be any explicit, hardcore pornography. It could be in romance novels. It could be in any number of things. But when I'm looking at something that leads me to lust after someone that is not my spouse, it is a sin. And it shows that I am a slave to sin. When I choose to be greedy, I'm a slave to sin. The Bible calls on us to be generous. It calls greed covetousness and says it is nothing but idolatry. When I refuse to help or be generous to others for fear that, that I won't get to buy my new iPhone 6 Plus, it shows that I am a slave to sin. When I choose to covet, I'm a slave to sin. When I choose to yield to my sinful nature in any way, I am a slave to sin. So it can be in what we call the, the big and, and bad sins. Or it could be in just the common, acceptable, everyday things. But yielding to sin shows I'm a slave to sin. And that is a, that is a harsh statement. But it's something we must understand. And Jesus and Paul both say, as believers, we do not have to live that way. And from what we see in, in Romans 6 and from Jesus, there's two, two final truths to be understood. One is that any time I am a slave to sin as a believer, it is because I, I choose to do it. I mean, look at what Paul says. Do not let sin reign in your body. Do not present yourselves as instruments of unrighteousness sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are that one slaves to whom you obey, whether, of, whether sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? All throughout that passage is the idea of a choice. Every time I make myself a slave to sin, it is a choice I make. As a believer in Jesus Christ, Romans 8 says, I have no obligation to give in to the desires of my sinful nature. In other words, I don't have to do it. Instead, I, I choose to do it. Think about like Galatians 5 where the flesh lusts against the Spirit. The Spirit of God is within us trying to call us to, to do God's will. To present ourselves as our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. The flesh is calling us to present ourselves as, our, as to sin. And what we have to do is we actively resist one to submit to the other. And this means that every time I sin... It is all my fault. At no point in my life can I say, I 
couldn't help it. It just happened. No, that was a choice I willingly made. And it's the same for you. Any and every single time you sin, that is a choice you willingly make. You actively choose to resist the Spirit and submit to the flesh. I mean, that is difficult to deal with, but it's truth. You and I as believers, we have to let go of the victim mentality. We have to move past, I couldn't help it, there's nothing I could do. We could. The second truth is just the flip side of that. Just as I can choose to do what's wrong, I can choose to do what's right. Jesus has given us the power to not sin. In every circumstance that comes into our life, it is possible for us to choose the right way to act. The right right way to react. It is always possible for a believer in Jesus Christ to choose to do what God wants them to do. But we are the ones who make that choice. We have to determine that while I am physically free to do any number of things, being spiritually free is far more important to me than physical freedom. Just because it is culturally acceptable, nationally legal, that does not make it right in God's eyes. If I want to find the freedom that's available in Christ, I must choose spiritual freedom over physical freedom. I must say that yes, I can, but no, I'm not. That I will choose to do what God wants me to do over what anyone else says, what my flesh wants to do, what the culture says is right. I must choose spiritual freedom over physical freedom. So I just let me ask you, are, are you are you free this morning? Are you living in the freedom that Jesus Christ came to provide? Is that freedom shown in your choices? That you choose to follow Christ, continually doing what He know what He tells you to do, listening for Him to give you further instruction, and then adjusting your life accordingly? Are you choosing the spiritual freedom of presenting yourselves to Christ over the physical freedom of presenting yourselves to sin? The freedom the Bible speaks of, it is real. You and I can be free indeed from Christ if we choose it. Let's stand.